Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are preaching through the book of Genesis, and uh, we have come to a pivotal point in the book. Uh, The book of Genesis really could be divided into two sections, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and Genesis chapters 12 to 50. And 1 through 11, you have God's interacting with the world, creating it. You have Adam and Eve and their posterity, and then you have Noah and the flood and the Tower of Babel, and then you get to Genesis chapter 12, and now God is going to, for the rest of the book, the story is going to be related to this one family, this one man. His name is Abraham. Uh, We're going to read the call of of Abraham, and um, uh, a scholar that I read this week said that this passage is the central passage of Genesis might be one of the most important passages in all of the Bible because this story of Abraham is referenced throughout the rest of the Bible. It kind of sets the foundation and the framework for everything that will come uh, after it. In fact, when you open the New Testament, the very first gospel, Matthew, his very first words, who does he mention? He mentions Abraham. Abraham uh, as the father in the genealogy leading to Christ. I want to remind you as uh, we uh, read this, who was the original audience? Who were the first people to hear Genesis read? The first people who ever heard Genesis read were the Israelites who had come out of Egypt and they were now gathered on the plains of Moab and they were getting ready to, having received the Ten Commandments from God, having been under Moses' leadership all the way up to this point, They are now preparing for that leadership to switch to Joshua, and they're going to enter the promised land. So these Israelites, as they're getting ready to go into the land that God has promised them, uh, Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And he writes these books to the Israelites as they're at this pivotal point in their history to remind them where they came from and what they are to do now and where their story is headed. Those are the questions they're asking. Where did I come from? What am I supposed to do? And where is this story ultimately headed? And those are questions that we still ask today, right? Where did, it, where did I come from? And what, is, what am I supposed to do now? And where, where is all of this headed? Uh, so we're gonna see those questions answered here in Genesis chapter 12. So if you're willing and able, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it, you can stand, and we're going to give a deference to God's word. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Genesis, actually going to start at the end of chapter 11, the last few verses, and then into chapter 12. So Genesis 11, starting at verse 27. Now when I read here, you're going to see the word Abram. Um, That's Abraham. His name got changed later to Abraham, but here he's referred to as Abram. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, 
in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai's daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Every bit of it is true. God gives it to us because he loves us. You may be seated, please. So when I was growing up, I was taught a song, sang this song as a child that I think a lot of you sang. It went something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Last night they sang with me. Come on. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand, whatever. You know. So um, it's like the hokey pokey. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. I'm a son of Abraham. What's interesting is that in the New Testament, the Pharisees sang that song too. They said, we're sons of Abraham. We're offspring of Abraham. And Jesus said to them, are you? Are you really? Are you a son of Abraham? Because it's not just about physical descent. In fact, John the Baptist said to those same Pharisees, don't presume to be sons of Abraham. Don't presume that you are because God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Are you a son of Abraham? Don't presume. Uh, I, I was reading this week 
about truffle oil, because that's what I do. I read about <laughs> random stuff like that. And uh, I learned that truffle oil, so truffles are this like exotic mushroom, right? They are highly desired in the culinary world. And, uh, and they're seen as, you know, um, something for uh, rich people, right? And, and it's very expensive. I think we read that one guy paid over $300,000 for a three-pound truffle. They, you can only get them in certain parts of the country and at certain times of the year. And eat, when you pull them out of the ground, they don't even last that long. And so um, uh, they came up with this thing called truffle oil. And you would think that truffle oil has truffles in it. Well, it turns out that that's not the case. Truffle oil is actually olive oil with um, a chemical that was made uh, in California that simulates the smell of truffles. So the truffle oil actually isn't the real thing. It's not genuine. What makes someone a true son of Abraham, like genuinely the real thing? You know, all throughout the New Testament, Abraham is noted for something. Every time Abraham is referenced in the New Testament, He's always noted for his faith. Um, in fact, Galatians 3, Paul simply calls Abraham the man of faith. That's his title. He's the man of faith. Genuine faith is what defined Abraham. And genuine faith is what defines a son of Abraham. So are you a son of Abraham? Do you have genuine faith? The real deal? This is a really important question, right? I mean, this is like lots of people come to church and lots of people know the songs, but is it genuine? Is it real? Um, we have to be able to answer that question. So based off this passage this morning, I want to look at three things about genuine faith, okay? The source of genuine faith, the shape of genuine faith, and the seed of genuine faith. Three S's, source, shape, seed. The alliteration is supposed to make you marvel at the preacher's ingenuity, <laughs> right? Um, first, the source of genuine faith. What was the source of Abraham's faith? Where did, where did it come from? I think Abraham must have been a, a pretty good guy, right? There must have been some spark of faith already in him, something that made him predisposed to believe. But look at what Joshua told the Israelites in chapter, Joshua chapter 24. He said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Right, Abraham did not grow up in a uh, you know, Bible-believing good home. Abraham was a pagan. His father was a pagan. They worshiped pagan gods. They were not interested in the true God. So where did Abraham's faith come from? 
Well, it came from God's initiative. Right? It came from, from God, not because of anything good in Abraham. God chose him. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, uh, Moses is reflecting on the people of Israel and why God chose them. And he tells them it was not because you're more numerous than the other people. It's not because you're more righteous than anyone else. It was simply because God loved you. That's why you were chosen. Because God loved you. Because he wanted to. It was his initiative. Genesis 12 is often referred to as the call of Abraham. And that's because of the first words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. The Lord said to Abram. Just like back in the creation story, at the very beginning, God spoke, right? He said, he created everything out of nothing. Um, So God speaks to Abraham. He calls him to faith out of unbelief, out of darkness. The call of Abraham was not an invitation, it was a summons. You know, an invitation you can choose to receive or not. A summons, you have to go, right? God uh, was not giving Abraham an option. He was giving him an order. In fact, when you look at Abraham's call, what comes into focus first and foremost is not Abraham's action, but God's action. Six times in the passage, it says, I will God says, I will show you, I will make of you, I will bless you, I will give you, I will, I will. It's God's initiative. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but what? I chose you. Um, Later on, one of those disciples, the disciple John, would write that we love God because he first loved us. It was his initiative. Genuine faith is a gift from God. Those who have it know that they didn't do anything to earn it or merit it or muster it up. It is simply his initiative. When you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? It didn't get there by itself. And if you discover that you have genuine faith, what do you know? You didn't muster it up yourself. It came from God. It was a gift from him. That's the source of genuine faith. Second, the shape of genuine faith. What what shape does genuine faith take? What, What does genuine faith look like? Well, three things under this. The shape of genuine faith is allegiance. Allegiance. Look again at Genesis 12, verse 1. says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. God is asking Abraham here to leave the sources of his identity and his allegiance, right? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Abraham is to leave his country, his homeland, the place that feels most familiar to him, you, you, many of you know this, right? When you go and travel abroad and you go to another country and everything is different and it's, um, uh, it, it's just kind of discombobulating 
right? Because they drive on the wrong side of the road and the people are different and the customs are different and the food is different and the landscape is different. Like the, the sales, right? And they went to Bulgaria and they had to realize that um, when people shake their head yes, they mean no, right? And when they shake their head no, they mean yes. I mean, it's just like, it's not like, it's not easy, right? To leave your country and you, you just want to come back home. Abraham is to leave his country. He's also to leave his kindred, his extended family, his relatives. And many of you know what that is like living in Florida because you've left your extended family back in um, New York or Ohio or Virginia. I remember as a kid growing up, the thing that, that stuck in my mind was um, at, on the holidays, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, we always got together, all the cousins, all the aunts, all the uncles, all the grandparents, every year is the same thing, and it brought a sense of identity and allegiance and comfort. And then as I got older and got married and those other cousins got older and married and we all moved away and started our own families and started doing other things, that started to fall apart and just doesn't happen anymore, right? And, uh, and I miss that. And God says to Abraham here, I want you to leave your relatives, and not only that, but even the, the greatest source of identity and allegiance for someone living in that time, God says, leave your father's household. Leave the place that you grew up in, the place where your wealth at that time was concentrated and came out of, right? Families would stay together for a long time and take care of each other, and so here God is asking Abraham to leave the most, uh, the place of his greatest allegiance. God is saying to Abraham, following me must be your first priority. That's what he's saying. Following me must be your first priority. It reminds me of what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the shape of genuine faith is allegiance to the Lord first and foremost. So who are you first and foremost? What is your identity? To whom do you give your greatest allegiance? Are you first and foremost an American? Are you first and foremost a Smith or a Jones? Are you first and foremost a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a son or a daughter? Genuine faith says I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my primary identity. My primary allegiance is to him. In China, uh, there was uh, the Boxer Rebellion uh, when, when China was under the command of Mao Zedong and the Communist Party uh, at that time. And during the Boxer Rebellion, it was China's attempt to try to purge their country of all, their, all the foreign influences, including Christianity. And so thousands of Chinese Christians were persecuted, put in prison, even killed. And uh, one of those was a young man named Epaphras. And Epaphras... Uh, as a young follower of Jesus, would refuse to sing the communist songs and refuse to salute the chairman's picture. 
And because of his refusal, he was put in prison for life. And, uh, and yet, even in prison, he was happy and joyful. And the guards would say to him, why are you that way? He would say, well, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Right? Uh, and this is, the best, this is the best life there is. I'm, I'm on mission with him. So a lot of time went by, and, and to his surprise, when he was 62, um, it's like 11 years after Mao Zedong had died, uh, at the age of 62, all of a sudden, he's released from prison. And, and he finds out that the reason why they released him from prison is because they manufactured a false recantation and told people that Epaphras um, recanted his faith. He's no longer a Christian, and they released him from prison. And so do you know what he did? He rented a cell-like apartment just outside the walls of the prison, and he voluntarily lived in house arrest for the rest of his life, right outside the walls of the prison, even though he was set free, because he was communicating to the people of China his allegiance, right? I am a follower of Jesus, even if that means that I have to be in prison. Uh, and Epaphras is remembered by the Chinese church even to this day for his faith. Right? The, the shape of genuine faith is allegiance. The shape of genuine faith is trust. The shape of genuine faith is also trust. Um, Abraham had to trust God. Not just to leave behind everything he knew, but he had to trust that everything he left behind, God would give him back and more. Abraham left behind his country for an unknown place. God didn't tell him where he was going. God said, go and I will show you. And, uh, and I love this quote from John Calvin. It's in your bulletin in the reflections section. It says, Calvin says, when God says to to Abraham, go and I will show you. He says, this is another test to prove the faith of Abram. For why would God not immediately point out the land except for the purpose of keeping his servant in suspense, that he may the better try the truth of his attachment to the word of God? As if he would say, I command thee to go forth with closed eyes and forbid thee to inquire whither I am about to lead thee until I have renounced thy country until having renounced thy country, thou shalt have given thyself wholly to me. Abraham had to trust God. He had to trust God's promises. God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. To which, when God said that, he would have thought the way he would have done that was through offspring. Through, through those who would come after him. If you're going to make him into a great nation, you can't be a great nation by yourself. That, that, that uh, seems to imply lots of people, but there was a problem. Abraham was 75 years old. And in uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 30, it said, Now Sarai, Sarah, Abram's wife, was barren. She had no child. When the, when the Bible does that repetition thing, it's doing it for emphasis. You know, it's like saying, um, he was really fat. He was really large, right? Um, she was barren. She had no child. Uh, Abram's old. Sarah couldn't have kids. And if you read the rest of the Genesis account, 
and put together uh, all the pieces, you realize that all of her relatives around her, all of the women in her family around her, had children at young ages and they had lots of them. So imagine if that's you, right? And you can't have a kid, but all the rest of your family are having kids and lots of them at young ages and you're getting older. And you have to trust God. And later in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham and Sarah, they're even older and they're still childless. And God takes Abraham outside and he says, look up to heaven. Try to number the stars if you can. That's how many offspring I'm gonna give you. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted. When, when Abraham passed through the land of Canaan for the first time, you know, it wasn't empty. It wasn't like he arrived and was like, oh look, it's perfectly set up for me. Um, it says in verse six, simply, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord then appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Okay, so I don't have any offspring yet. And you're gonna give me a land that's already occupied. How is that gonna work? Abraham demonstrated genuine faith because he trusted the Lord, not based on what he could see, but based on what he couldn't see. That's the nature of faith, right? To trust, not based on what you can see, but based on what you can't see. Um, what about you? Do you trust the promises of God even though sometimes they don't make sense to your physical eyes? Do you trust Jesus when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? Do you trust Jesus when he says, I'm coming again, so be about my kingdom work and be ready? Do you trust Jesus when he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life? The shape of genuine faith is trust, and then third, the shape of genuine faith is worship. Worship, right? God said to Abram, go, and Abraham went. And then did you notice what he did? Look, look again, starting at verse six. It says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abraham built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And he journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And later on in Genesis, when he gets to the Negev, he builds an altar. Why is Abraham, as he's journeying through the land of Canaan, building altars? Well, he, he's worshiping, right? He, he stops in Shechem, which is right in the middle, right in the center of Canaan. And he stops, it says, at the place at Shechem by the Oaks of Morah, which, which uh, was a way to communicate this is where pagan worship took place. And right next to the pagan worship place, Abraham builds an altar to worship the true God, Yahweh. 
He goes on to Bethel and Ai, also places of worship. You see, Abraham is going through the land and in a sense he is planting Yahweh's flag and saying this land belongs to the Lord. In these places, God will be worshiped. Think about how that might have been received by the Canaanites, right? To come into their land and come up to their places of worship and build an altar to God right next to it. Um, Calvin, uh, also in your bulletin reflection there, notes this. He says, um, Abram endeavored as much as lay in him to dedicate to God every part of the land to which he had access. And he perfumed it with the odor of his faith. I love that. Um, I was, uh, um, I was, went up to St. Louis on Monday and Tuesday up to Covenant Seminary, which is where uh, I and several other people on our staff went um, to go get trained to be in ministry. And uh, we had gone up there to look for some other pastor positions, uh, an assistant pastor for the villages, a pastor to help start a church in Ocala. Uh, we were trying to just meet graduates and uh, get connected. And, uh, and it was fascinating some of the things we learned while we were up there. Because for me, it's been about 14 years uh, since I've been there. Uh, for one of the guys that went with us, he graduated in 1998. And so as we talked to professors and leaders at the seminary, as we talked to the students, they kept telling us the same thing, which was things have changed, right? And the, and the, the people coming through training for ministry uh, are different. When, when we were going through um, and getting trained for ministry, one of our greatest weaknesses and problems was we were too confident, right? We were like, I'm ready to go. Like, I'm all trained up. Send me out uh, and let's do this thing. And it's be partly because we lived in a culture that was um, fairly tolerant of Christianity. Not everybody believed, but it was still somewhat accepted. And, and if you're going to go into ministry, you know, you would do some apologetics to try to convince people. Uh, but it was fairly easy to go and talk about God. Now, fast forward to 2022, um, they were telling us these students. Their, their problem is not that they're too confident, right? They, they don't have confidence. In fact, they're afraid. They're worried that they're gonna go into ministry and be chewed up and spit out. Um, and what's one of the reasons? It's because our culture is shifting. Right? No longer is, it, is Christianity just tolerated, right? No longer is it Christianity seen as just another option. Christianity is seen as one of the problems, right? Christianity is seen as something to be fought against and mitigated against. And so for these seminary students getting trained for ministry, they're thinking, I'm going, you know, uh, I'm not going into Christian America, I'm going into Iraq, all right? I'm going into Iran, I'm, I'm going into China. Uh, that's what it feels like in our culture. Uh, and, and they are right. I mean, things are shifting. It is difficult, not just for pastors and church leaders, but for you, right? To, to follow the Lord and to, in a sense, go through life and say, he is the one to be worshiped, right? What I'm going to do with my time and my resources and my energies and what that means for people who are saying, that's stupid. Why would you do that? In fact, that's dangerous. 
Um, it is hard. It is hard to keep that shape of genuine faith, which is worship uh, of God. My life is built around King Jesus and his church. We are all worshipers. The question is, what or who are we worshiping? Genuine faith has a shape. It has a look. It looks like allegiance and trust and worship. Okay? And then third and finally, the seed of genuine faith. We've talked about the source of genuine faith, the shape of genuine faith, now the seed of genuine faith. Here's something really interesting is that Christians and Jews and Muslims all share this in common. They all look to Abraham as the progenitor of their faith. They all claim Abraham as their father. So which one is right? Well, it depends on who the seed of Abraham is. Who is the seed of Abraham? Who is the offspring, the one promised to Abraham? Because God makes an extraordinary promise to Abraham in this passage. He says to him, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Think about that. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How will that happen? Uh, Up to this point, you've had God creates the world, right? Adam and Eve disobey. Um, The world is uh, now uh, plunged into sin. You have Cain and Abel and uh, ultimately leading to the flood and uh, and God deciding to destroy the earth, uh, saving one man and his family, Noah. Noah comes out of the ark and then you have the Tower of Babel in which the people again are rebelling against God and God disperses the nations across the face of the earth. Up to this point, God has been working on kind of a cosmic scale, right? And, um, and if you think of like an hourglass, right? God decides in order to um, continue his program of um, seeking that the whole earth would be filled with his worshipers, he's going to now narrow down to one family. He's narrowing down to Abraham and Sarah so that they will bless all the families of the earth, right? And so who is the seed? Who is the offspring? Well, in the Bible we read that um, God fulfills his promise to Abraham by giving him a son. His name is Isaac. We're going to read about that in the coming uh, weeks uh, in Genesis. Uh, God gives Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, but Isaac is not the ultimate seed of Abraham. We read about Jacob who comes, and Jacob wrestles with God, but, and Jacob becomes then the, the, the father of the, the nation of Israel. Um, but Jacob is not the ultimate seed of Abraham. You have Joseph, and Joseph uh, does accomplish bringing blessing to the nations because he uh, is part of helping those in famine in Egypt, right? And all of the world comes to Egypt, and Joseph is charged with dispensing the goods and bringing blessing to the people. But Joseph is not the ultimate seed of Abraham. You have Moses, Moses, who leads the people out of uh, Egypt and uh, gives them the Ten Commandments, but Moses is not the ultimate seed. You have David, King David, and for uh, all of King David's accomplishments and in, in, in enlarging the kingdom uh, of Israel, uh, David is not the ultimate seed. Ulti- ultimately, you get all the way to this guy named Joseph. 
And Joseph and Mary are the parents of Jesus. Jesus, we're told, is the ultimate seed of Abraham. He is the one whom God promised who would come. How do we know that? Well, there's this fascinating verse in John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus says to the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Isn't that amazing? Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. That Abraham somehow in his limited knowledge in, in, in what God gave him in that moment and that time was able to see that the seed, right, the offspring, the one who would fulfill this promise to bring blessing to all the families of the earth was Christ. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Um, so I was, I was watching a, an interview um, this week with Kanye West. So Kanye West, or Ye, as he's referred to, um, is, uh, he did something that caused a stir and got him attention. Surprise. And uh, so Kanye is being interviewed about what happened, and he, uh, in Kanye uh, professes to be a Christian. It's fine. Uh, I'm not going to judge his profession. But what's interesting is I was listening to the interview. Kanye was um, uh, talking about the Bible and using Bible language. Uh, and, but he always used it to talk about himself. So he would say, for example, like um, uh, the interviewer would say, well, that must be really hard what you're going through. And he would say, well, yeah, but I feel like, you know, uh, God raised me up for such a time as this. Well, that's, that was, he's referring to Esther, right? Um, but, but using it to talk about himself. And what I realized is that um, his version of Christianity, which is a lot of people's version of Christianity, is the Bible is there to give us moral stories, moral examples, Right, And so um, if I follow those moral examples, then, uh, then that's, what I, that's the main idea, right? That's the main point. Um, be like Esther, be like Abraham, be like David. But what happens when you do that, when that's your view of the Bible, is that what happens is what, what we, I saw with Kanye is ultimately the Bible becomes about who? becomes about you, right? becomes about you, not about Jesus. It's about you. I think Abraham would have watched that interview with Kanye and been like, no, right? It's not about you. It's about the seed. It's about Jesus. What made Abraham's faith genuine? What made his faith genuine was that it looked to Jesus. You know, if you're going to if you're going to take the people in the Bible and make them your moral examples and say the point of it is to be like so-and-so, um, you know, be like Noah. He got off the ark and he got drunk, right? Be like Abraham. Uh, after his great faith here in Genesis 12, he um, went to Egypt and told his wife, tell him you're my sister, and sent her off into Pharaoh's harem. It's pretty good husbanding. Um, be like uh, Moses, Right? Um, who, uh, yeah, that guy he killed. We'll just forget about that. Or, or be like David, who um, committed adultery. You see that, that 
If you're just gonna take the, the biblical stories and say, be like that person, it doesn't work except in this one way. How are we to be like Abraham? We are to be like Abraham by demonstrating genuine faith and putting our faith in Jesus, right? It's about him. Genuine faith. Make sure your faith is genuine by looking to Christ. You know, it's, uh, your faith is, is a, uh, is a vehicle, it's an instrument. Um, the point of your faith is not your faith. The point of your faith is the object of your faith. So when you're going home today and you go out here and you get onto 44, um, as you're driving, I want you to stare at your windshield, okay? Don't, <laughs> please don't do that, right? What's the point of a windshield? Not to stare at the windshield, but what? <laughs> to stare through the windshield to what's ahead of you. What's the point of faith? Not to stare at your faith, but to look through your faith to Jesus, right? Um, He's the point. I began with the Sunday school song, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Are you one of them? Are you a son of Abraham? Um, Look at what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, know then, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus is the seed, and when you put your faith in Jesus, you also become the offspring of Abraham. You become a son of Abraham, a genuine son of Abraham by faith, and you become an heir of all the promises of God. Isn't that amazing? All right. That's all I got for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your word, you point us to Christ. And that in your word, you show us what genuine faith looks like. And so would you point us to Jesus this morning and would you help us to put our faith in him, and as we do that, would you shape and form us, Lord, to pledge our allegiance and give our trust and our worship to you alone. Jesus, thank you, thank you that we too can be genuine sons of Abraham. And we pray these things in your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.